Real Talk with Grace Redmond features conversations with fierce and fabulous people from Grace's community and circle who inspire others with their stories of overcoming challenges to create amazing. Grace is an entrepreneur and success coach who works with individuals to diminish their negative mental chatter, boost their confidence, achieve their goals, and increase their prosperity mindset. Get ready for a series of Anything Goes Conversations with remarkable men and women that will get you jazzed for life's unlimited possibilities of success, freedom, and fun. Welcome to Real Talk with Grace Redmond. Hey loves, it's Grace Redmond. Thank you so much for joining us today on Real Talk where I have the privilege of connecting with incredible people from my circles and communities. And today I have the honor to be here with Betty Shamia. Betty is a screenwriter. Her off-Broadway premieres include Roar at the New Group starring Emmy-nominated Annabella Sciorra. The Machine, directed by Marissa Tomei, was produced by Naked Angels at the Duke Theater in 2007 starring Gabby Hoffman and Ron Cephas Jones. Fit for a Queen had its world premiere at the Classical Theater of Harlem in October 2016. Betty is a graduate of Harvard College and the Yale School of Drama. She was awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship in 2016. Betty was also named a UNESCO Young Artist for Intercultural Dialogue and her works have been translated into seven languages. Betty is currently a visiting artist at Stanford University, which makes her closer to me. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here today, Betty. So Thanks, excited. Grace. Thank you. Really, really excited. I think uh, everyone should know that I always thought you were so cool. You're like half a minute older than me. And, you know, you were just like so cool. Um, and, and you continue to be cool. And I'm so glad we're able to connect in this wonderful way. So thank you for inviting me. My, my pleasure. So I'm just going to dig in, girl, because I really want to get into this. Okay. I am fascinated by your journey, by the journey you've taken, because we grew up in the same circle, mm -hmm. in the same community. And although my grandfather, you know, he was a principal and a teacher and he advocated, you know, education mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, in college, that wasn't the story that I created in my mind. The world around me didn't tell me, you know, go away to college and pursue your dreams. The world around me told me um, for you to be worthy, you need to get married by the age of 21 or else you're not, you're less than. And so I'm fascinated by the fact that you stepped out of the box and went out to pursue your dreams. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Like how, what motivated you to do that? Well, uh, first I, I do want to say, I, I did know that your grandfather was very fancy and <laughs> a member of our community. And um, that's a lovely thing. Um, yeah, I think I always had those voices in my head that your value was, was not only uh, how young you marry, but who you marry and who you can attract. And that was that um, was your value as a woman and as a person. Um, and uh, and it affected a lot of the choices I made. And I think what happened to me was, you know, I went to UC Berkeley first and um, I had, uh, my father was incredibly supportive. He, you know, couldn't afford to go to UC Berkeley, he went to San Francisco State. So, so the fact that I got in was a big deal to him. And I think that I really have to say that my parents didn't get in my way. And I think the other thing that was kind of, you know, everybody 
when I got into Harvard, because I did transfer into Harvard as a junior, um, uh, everyone told me, don't waste your degree. You're at like this fancy university, be a lawyer. And that was the voices in my head that I was wasting my degree by being an artist or a writer. Um, and so I had a lot of different voices that I was continually like fighting in my head. But I think for me, you know, uh, as I'm now, you know, cause I have a young child um, and uh, you know, my husband and I are trying to have more. It's interesting. Cause I kind of feel like I did everything opposite people who marry very young. Um, and, uh, and that has its pluses and its minuses. Uh, I'm, I'm a little more tired, <laughs> you know, like, um, but I think it's, it's interesting. So I, I think, but I think one of the things that really freed me is nobody expected much of me. Like, I think if I was a, a, a man in our community and I went to Harvard, they would have been like, if you're not a lawyer or a doctor, you're a loser. And because they just assumed I'd get married and live off someone, um, it was kind of, I was actually more free than I would have been if I was a, a guy who got into those fancy kinds of schools. And that was something people don't really expect to hear from me, you know? So. Yeah, so tell me more. What do you mean, like you were more free? Did you have more freedom or did they have less expectations? Tell, tell they me. They had lower expectations. The idea was that I would never have to, um, you know, which is crazy living in Silicon Valley that, you know, one income families can make it, you know, that I would never have to actually support a family or be, you know, a financial contributor. Um, so that made it so like I want to I feel like I when I told my my parents and my people that I wanted to be a playwright because it's also very weird what I did you know what I, mean? I went and did theater which nobody knew anything about and to them it was like I was going and become you know being a professional knitter <laughs> random and like why and so and I think because I was a woman and they thought I'd just get married and have kids eventually you know I could do these fancy things but the my value I used to I used to like lament I said I could win the Nobel Prize for literature and if I don't get married and have children I'm going to be like a hazina in my family and you know what I mean and that was a very significant you know voice in my head and I and I hope that the next generation um doesn't feel that way. And, and what's also very interesting to me is like, we're from a very specific cultural background with a lot of its baggage. Um, but it was surprising to me how many women at Harvard and Yale had those voices in them. And they were from, you know, families that were very sophisticated and, you know, multiple generations of educated working grandmothers and mothers, you know, and, um, and, and I think it's a universal female issue. And I think, you know, we're kind of associated as Arab women with, you know, being subjugated and held down. But, I, but one of the things that was surprising me was how much just being a woman, your value is how attractive you are or what kind of man you can attract and, you know, how early you can do it. And, you know what I mean? Like, so. And, and, and it's interesting how you say that it was, that it's a universal. I think it's also universal. And that's why I believe it's so important for us to have these conversations. Um, and, you know, I'm making an effort to, you know, have these cultural workshops with Tiffany Tota to show like, okay, these are, cultural messages that are universal and we can change that we can change the story a woman's worth doesn't have to be tied to her getting married or to her having children regardless of what a woman does if she does get married or if she doesn't if she has children or she doesn't she's worthy no matter what so i'm really um 
excited that you brought this subject up to show like you're like this is universal and us women have been dealing with these this voice this story for generations and now it's time to change that story and create a new narrative to show that to tell these young girls no matter what you do regardless of what you choose to pursue you're worthy your worth is not tied to um being a mother or a wife although being a, a mother and a wife are wonderful they don't that that's not tied to your worth absolutely and and also you know we live in in a generation where um where most women have to work most women who, who you know and especially if you're living in a in a place like manhattan or anywhere in the bay area practically you know it's and and so the expectations that and one of the challenging things that i think that's going to be for the younger generations is is we have to do it all do you know what i mean we're expected to be the soccer mom and the helicopter parent and the working mother and you know uh and do bake sales and crazy stuff that you know what I mean and be part of you know a church or a mosque or a synagogue or whatever you know your is your ilk you know what I mean and it's just I think that that's what's overwhelming you know for our generation and I hope it changes the expectation that you know you have to be as good as a man and as good as a woman do you know what I mean? like in your if you're as good as a man and a professional and as you know involved as a mother as a non-working mother and so it's it's a lot more a transitional generation, you know, um, and uh, it's it's interesting um, uh, how we will change it, how we even in this generation will will change it for you know in our own dynamics, in our own relationships, in our own expectations for ourselves, and um, you know what makes a successful life and what makes a successful parent or member of the community looks different for every couple and every person. So absolutely, absolutely. Well, I am going to be a little vulnerable here. And I was that person, like I was that woman that um, I was running the business and I had the kids and I'm, you know, I'm the oldest, you know, in, in my family. So I was taking care of the outside family, the inside family, the business, the, the room parent. Right. I mean, as I look back, like I, one of my coaches said, you, you're, you're writing your death sentence. Like, what are you doing? Right. And as I look back, I'm like, I don't know what the F I was doing. I was creating a death. Like that was like getting up at 6 a.m. and going till midnight just so I can prove my worth, like that I can be a career person and the mother and the and it was, um, I hurt myself. And, and that's something I, I really hear. And that's something I hear not from almost every woman who like yourself is is contributing and high powered and uh uh making a difference in in their world and having you know it's like that that, that we are actually driven into the ground at some at some level um and you know i mean i'm i'm, I'm kind of a tough broad you know what i mean i lived in new york a long time i'm you know it's funny i'm quiet but but if you tangle with me you know that i'm a New Yorker, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, because I, I, it's funny. I mean, I know New York better than San Francisco because I moved there as, as a, you know, in my twenties. So, so that's my city. You know what I mean? Like, so this is all to say, um, we all have multiple like identities, and I talked about it a little earlier. And, but and I, I used to like relish and being like, bring it on! I could take it. Do you know what I mean? Let me, let me have another job. Let me do another thing. And, and. You know, it's it's really important that we not drive ourselves into the ground, but that, you know, somebody says, 
the, it's like the temple of busy. Like if you can do everything, you're a better person than if you can take time out and be like, let me take care of myself. And I think, you know, if you're a nice person, if you're a nurturer, if you're in a field like you where you're nurturing people as a coach, uh, as a mother, you know, as a sister, uh, it can be easy to just deplete yourself. And I think that that is the big, big uh, struggle, how to be ambitious and not kill yourself, <laughs> like essentially. Absolutely, 100%. And so I've been learning that and that's why I'm so passionate about teaching like rest is self-care and you're going to be more productive when you take the time out and how can you give from an empty cup so you know i was well i saw the women before me giving from empty and yeah. like you said they would be depleted and then that would create depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and and then meant you know physical illness and mm -hmm. all kinds of um mm -hmm. all kinds of challenges so now I'm a really big advocate of self-care because I was that person like, look how much I can do. Mm -hmm. It was like, you had that martyr mentality. The more you did, the better you were. And that's just sabotage. That's self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's not sustainable. And, and eventually you start, you know, coming apart at the seams, you start snapping at your kid, you start, you know, like being not effective in your job, you start, you know, like, and, and you don't, and, and you feel like as long as you can do that 13 hour stretch, you, you want, and it's, and it's not actually, um, but it's also, uh, it's hard to stop. You get addicted to, you know, the sense of like, I, I'm, you know, worthy because I accomplished this or I've done this or I've generated this amount of income or my kid, you know, acts a certain way. You know what I mean? Like I'm, you know, I have a son and I'm trying not to instill in him, you know, uh, like, you know, you know, people are like, you're going to go to Harvard or, you know, to like a six-year-old. And I'm like, please don't introduce those concepts to him. Do you know what I mean? Like right now, I feel like, you know, I was really driven and I felt like, I couldn't just be a playwright, I had to be a playwright, you know what I mean, or working in, in a weird industry like theater, which is not even, you know, that was my focus for a long time. And had I spent that amount of time in LA, I would be a gazillionaire right now because <laughs> like, like I said, I did this weird kind of thing. Um, and I don't want that kind, I don't want my child to have the kind of pressure I had, which is like, either you're the absolute best or you're nothing, that black and white thinking, you know, like, and I, I do not want that for my child and you know and I'm actively trying to to not encourage that kind of you know you have to do this because your parents did this or you, this means you're worthy or smart gifted you know so um and and you know it's hard because because the society tells you I mean it's a competitive world that we're sending our children into and uh, you know, I lived in a different, uh, I moved with my husband and my son to Miami for a couple of years. Uh, and, you know, I had only really lived in Manhattan and Silicon Valley. And I didn't know what it was like to live in a place where you don't have to struggle every minute in order to afford where you are. Or, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you can live very easily in Miami, you know what I mean? And nicely and have a wonderful life. And, and I feel like when you raise your kid or you rate, raise up in this kind of environment, it's really hard to also do that. You know, we are in the most industrialized nation and in the most competitive markets in those. And that's, 
and it was it was it was me moving around outside of my comfort zone because if you had told me i was going to move to miami i would have been like <laughs> never you know like oh i can't wait to get to miami <laughs> well not it's a hard place to live you know i mean it, it's tough it's like the number one drug abuse number one medical fraud um yeah it's a t it's tougher than most places but it's also an easier life you know you can buy a house you can live comfortably you're by the beach you know uh and it just made me realize there's different ways to live and be successful yeah. that, you know that i didn't experience in where i grew up and where i chose to live i i, I could totally relate and what I, i've i've been trying making the effort to do the same with my boys Mm -hmm. And I also learned that, I mean, there was a lot of emphasis put on money when we were growing up. Absolutely. And I've learned that money's energy, mm -hmm. that money comes to you. It's, 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 it's like, we, we are in an abundant world. Like when I go out to do my hike and I see the, the bay of water full, full of water, the sky, like the world is abundant. So I teach my kids, you know, money's energy. It's your birthright. Abundance is your birthright. You have to take action to it, but I'm yeah. making an effort not to put that pressure on them. Um, and money is great because it just give us, gives us freedom, but having them change the mindset around the beliefs and mindset around money, because my mindset around money was you had to be worthy to get it, you had to earn it, like, and by earning it meant you had to be worthy and you had to completely bust your ass, but that's not true. Yeah. So I'm making an effort to, you know, have them realize number one, like your worth is not based on you could do and be whatever you want. You can also attract money based on your beliefs because it's energy. And we never taught, we weren't taught that. Yeah, I'm still kind of working on that. You know, that's still, you know, I, you know, I, I was, I was taught you do things you don't like for money. And that's how you yeah, make Me too. And and like well, that's what I did for, you know, 20 plus years and I broke my back. I was successful, yep. but I earned money the hard way where I'm now making an effort, you know, to attract abundant and there's nothing wrong with money people say money's evil no it's neutral no it's, it's it's people who create the stories around it and i think you know and also if you come from you know a farming culture which you know our grandparents came from you know the idea of abundance and money you know i mean one of the things that i have a really hard time spending on is self-care do you know what I mean? Like if I get my hair done, I always think I could get it cheaper somewhere else. If I do, you know, like if I, if I get a personal trainer, I always feel like, uh, can't you just do this yourself? And I think it's really important that, you know, there are people like you coaches in our community who are saying there's nothing more important for you to spend your money on than yeah. self-care. Like, well, it's investing in yourself because when yeah. you in yourself, you feel better. When you feel better, you raise your vibration and then you, you know, you attract, you attract more absolutely and and that's why you have money <laughs> like that's why people want it that's why they want to attract it so that when you need a personal trainer you know you you get it you know what i mean that's why people want higher frequencies and to make money it's not so that they can hoard it and feel like you know i worked out by myself and i'm more virtuous it's like you know what i mean like I so get back. yeah so you talked about New York, you know, a lot that you went there when you were 20. What's funny yeah. is like whenever I meet people, they're like, are you from New York? I'm like, no, but I went <laughs> to New York recently and I loved it. Like, yeah. so how, I mean, tell me, I'm sure like being a, you know, a young, you know, a young girl, 20 years old, moving yeah. from here and we we're so tight knit to New York, like this big city, like, what yeah. was that like? Like, 
I were the challenges? What were the um, I think cons? I actually like was able to, you know, really flourish and be myself because I could invent myself, you know, there. And so, you know, I always felt in the community that, you know what I mean? You couldn't be too loud. You couldn't swear. You couldn't say things. Do you know what I mean? You couldn't, you know, and my work is about women and women's sexuality and there's a lot of swearing and there's a lot of stuff that, you know what I mean, uh, is, is very normal. And you know what I mean? You turn on HBO, it's normal, but for, you know, a young girl from Ramola to be talking about stuff like the things that I talked about in my place. And I feel like I could not have been the artist that I needed to be in this community. And I almost felt like, you know, I had two lives. I had this life, you know, in San Francisco where, you know, everyone kind of knew me and then I disappeared for, you know, however long. I did. <laughs> and then now I'm back and you know and I think and I had a lot of issues with our community you know what I mean I was also more politically active as just an American activist not necessarily do you know what I mean I cared about things like abortion rights and things that, you know what I mean like those things matter to me not just you know Middle Eastern politics and so it was sometimes hard for me to really and feminism and all that stuff it was hard for me to relate to people who, who did not um seemed to be involved in the things that mattered to me. Do you know what I mean? And so, um, so I felt like I kind of, you know, somebody told me you left, you know, San Francisco as a child and now you're coming back as an adult. Do you know what I mean? And you're seeing that there's value in everybody and everything. And you just have to find a way to connect with people on their, you know, wavelength. And, and it's different from, uh, you know, and you don't have to, in a sense, run away. People are not going to, you know, like I, one of the hardest plays I worked on was the one for the Ramallah community. I wrote a play for the I think, 2000 convention. It was really, really challenging for me. Do you know what, what I mean? Challenging about it. <laughs> <laughs> get into it. Like, I'm still mad. 21 years later, I'm pissed off about what this one woman said. You know what I mean? But I, I just, uh, I felt that there was, you know, like I basically volunteered to write a play, which is a year's worth of work for our community. And, you know, and it was just, uh, it, it was, uh, and I have to like really take it in and be like, okay, Betty, do you know I mean? it was really, really appreciated uh, by, you know, it was the Palace of Fine Arts and I think a thousand people saw it, it was, and it was lovely, that experience. Um, was a time machine where uh, two kids from um, the San Francisco community go back and see Ramallah at different stages. Um, My mom was in that, I think. Yes, I think she was. I just got emotional. So thank you for taking me back to that memory. <laughs> I, remember the, I remember the stage. I remember, wow, thank you, Betty. Yeah. So, you know, and, and there were squabbles that really hurt me in that process. You know what I mean? Like, and I was like, I volunteered a year. I don't think you guys would take a year off your store or, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it doesn't take me a year to write a play, but it's, it's that equivalent. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I, and it was one of the harder, most challenging experience because I'm an artist and I'm like, no, you're not cast and you are, and you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, and it, and that did not work in that scenario. So um, everybody wants to be the leader. Like everyone's, you know, wants to be at, the, you know, at the, yeah. um, at the table. 
Right. And um, so that was, you know, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, every time I deal with my community, there's always some sort of and it even happened in the Palestinian theater community in New York. You know, it didn't just happen in my Ramallah community. And I think. Uh, and I'm really connected, like some of my biggest supporters are African-Americans. You know, what I mean? my first New York Times reviewer was an African-American critic. She kind of established me as a writer. She wrote about me multiple times. Um, and so I have a lot of connection to other people of color, you know, what I mean? and that was something that I didn't feel that, you know, our Ramallah community really cared about either. You know, if only, you know, it was like as Arabs, you could either like try to be white or try to be, you know, a, a homie. You know what I mean? Like, and like, <laughs> you know I mean? like, and, like uh, and I was down with being a homie. And, um, oh, well. you know. <laughs> Post about this um, the other day, you know, with all of everything that was going on, and and yeah. I talked about how like in my community and growing up in school, like we all got along, you know, together well. The Latin, the white, the, yeah. the, the Polynesians, the Arabs, like there was no distinct the white. There was no distinction. Like we were one race, we were one family. Yeah, and I think that's an important message for us to also. Um, you know, put out there as we move forward, whatever we're doing, we're one race, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, uh, you know, but I think I give, you know, from your own community, you're, you're more vulnerable, you're more open, you're more giving. And, uh, and then I started realizing, you know, your community is, is people who I think, you know, like, everyone has to balance giving and taking. Yeah. And I feel like your true family are people who give and take in, in the ratio that you do. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and it's not about whether you're born in this community or whether you look like me or it's actually, are you somebody who, you know what I mean? And, and, and maybe I'm more of a taker than more of a giver. I'm not saying I, I have the right connection. It's just, that's how you find your people. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's your comfort level, you know what I mean? With, and so, and to me finding, uh, really looking at the value of the person and how they connect with with my life not the value of the person in, in general everyone has the same value of course but the value of them to the ability to connect with them you know what I mean? so, well the, i'm going to mess up this word i messed it up all the, the, the reciprocity i always mess up the word oh, reciprocity, reciprocity yes yes give, give, you know give and, and take and right. uh, and you create your tribe Absolutely. And that's how you find your people. Do you know what I mean? You're like, oh, I overgave or oh, I, you know what I mean? Like I undergave or oh, I, you know what I mean? Like, which happens a lot too. There were things, times in my life where I could have been more generous as an artist, do you know? Uh, and that's something I'm learning how to do, you know, mentoring younger writers, uh, particularly women is really important to me, the stage in my game. So, oh, yeah. I love it. And, and I love our, and I, I love our community. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why, because I get to connect with women like you. If it wasn't for our community, if it wasn't for the club, I you know, would never know, you know, Betty Shamir or Tiffany Toda or Blanche or, or yeah. any, any of you. Like, I feel like also there are so many pros to our community that bring us together. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. that, um, plus I love our food. No. And the other amazing thing is our parents immigrated to this country, our grandparents, our parents immigrated here, and they worked so hard to really give us a better life. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the community that we, we were raised together. 
Mm -hmm. We grew up together. And I know that even if I hadn't seen you for, you know, 10 to 15 years, it didn't matter. Like if I picked up the phone and I said, hey, Betty, it's Grace. And even if I haven't talked to you in 15 years and I said, I need something, girl, you would be there in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. And yeah. so although there's all of these cultural messages that we really need to work on shifting and changing, I also honor and value, you know, the, the, the amazing things that our culture and community did bring to the table for us because we have each other. That is so, that is so lovely, Grace. And I'm really going to take that in, you know, and I, you know, I, I really, uh, was so excited that you were working with Tiffany and kind of targeting, you know, our community and, and, and like lifting up the women of our community, which is what you're doing with this podcast. That's incredible, in my opinion, you know, um, because I, I tend to not want to deal. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I don't want to deal. And I think one of the big problems with our community is um, the, the amount of gossip. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like if I, if I tell this cousin, this cousin will hear it. And if I tell that cousin, that cousin will hear it. And you know what I mean? Like, and I think that, that was, you know, I'm, I'm a confessional writer, which is like, if you open a book of mine or a play of mine, you will know exactly what I'm thinking about everything from G-rated to X-rated, you know what I mean? And so I'm somebody who likes to share a lot. So I was raised with the messaging that, that you, you have to present a, a, a pretty picture more than like, just be your messy self. Oh yeah. You know, and so, and you know what I mean? And I think that for me, the, the kind of presenting of oneself, you know what I mean? As a, as, a, as a member of a family where everything's perfect all the time and everybody loves each other and everybody, you know, uh, which is not the case in any family. I think that that has made it hard for me to connect with other people from our community. Um, no, I mean, that well, I mean, I, I'm just gonna even be more vulnerable here. You know, my mom, she, you know, lost, you know, passed away at the age of 50 because she tried so hard to conform to that perfect picture. Right. But the perfect, <laughs> but there is no perfect picture. And so then I, like you, was like, okay, everything has to be perfect and everyone has to be perfect. And you tried so hard, but there's no perfect. You yeah. know, and there's no perfect. And for me, what I've been doing over the last few years to making an effort to be vulnerable has really been hard because I know that you know, there are people who could say whatever. And I've had to learn, like, I know who I am, regardless of what they say. I want to take off my mask and be me. And by me being me and being vulnerable, taking off my mask, and I'm going to inspire others to be the same, because then we take off the, I don't want to say the F word, but then all that pressure comes off of us. Yep. And it, and, and it takes somebody to be a leader in that, Grace. You know, like, like I moved, uh, to San Carlos when I was in high school. And I kind of, you know, your clique of friends was seemed like a real solid group of people. And, and I did not have that, you know, within the Ramola community. I did not, you know, uh, I, di I didn't have that partially because I didn't feel I could, I could be myself and do the things that a, you know, a high school girl wants to do. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Because I felt like, you know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know to I be mean? like uh you know which was uh you know I was as nerdy as they came so you know like I, everyone's like you moved to New York I'm like I was sitting in libraries writing writing plays inspired by Shakespeare I was not you know what I mean like it was not sex in the city kind of life for me because that that's just not my personality but I just felt like 
So it was really nice to see your kind of cohesive group and how you guys have stuck together and stayed together. Um, uh, it, and not everybody had that in the community because not everybody felt free enough to be themselves, even within their group of their you know, parents' friends, which is what I felt, you know what I mean? I felt like you always had to keep a veneer, you know, even within, you know, so, so that makes connection impossible, you know, and so um, I'm working on that now, you know. And, and I continue to work on that. Like you just brought up a point, when we wear our masks, we're not being our true self, which like you said, makes that connection more challenging because who, who am I going to be to this, you know, in this situation, in this person? And something I learned was I learned how to be a chameleon. I learned, you know, as a young girl, how to cope and survive by being chameleon. I knew which part of me to present to which group so I would be accepted and, and belong. Right. Which was, um, you know, neither here nor there. But now it's like, this is what you get. <laughs> Take it or leave it. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? And you find people who more people who will take it than leave it when you're actually yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's that's the beauty. That that's the hard thing. You think like you're doing all this to be socially accepted, and you're like, I don't, it's not yeah. gonna work with these five people. It's gonna work with these five million. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's but these five people, it's just not, you know, and I think uh, this is not something I struggle with a lot too, is being liked. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. more important to be like than be honest it's more important to be like than you know like your likability as a person in the community you know and you know sometimes uh you know I sound like a jerk for saying this but sometimes you know when people are not nice the worst thing you can do is want them to like you because right. that means you're just inviting inviting you know what I mean if people I, I I felt like you know what I mean as a woman as a member of a community you know what I mean like I, that that even if a person was not pleasant or disrespectful or part of a project that I had initiated and you know not in any way appreciative of the work or the effort or you know what I mean that I put in like in terms of that play I did um uh uh, you know, I didn't feel like I could respond and say, you know what, I'm having an issue with how that that is. I don't feel comfortable with with what's going on. I really wish you would talk to me in a different way or or frame what you're saying in a in a you know. I I didn't have the ability to snap when someone snapped at me. I, so I had no boundary in terms of of being you know defensive, and I thought that, that meant you were nice. And what I started to learn was. That just meant you were inviting people to bring more bad energy into your circles. You know what I mean? And and so, you know, my journey has been about having boundaries, about being treating people the way that they're treating me, or at least not allowing them to treat me in a certain way. And, you know, that was, you know, you know, when you come from a big family and, you know, your identity is is part of this family, you know what I mean? Uh, it's really hard as a woman to be like, uh-uh, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm not gonna be the nice person if you're not gonna be nice back, you know? And that has been, you know, a, a, a huge, huge struggle for me, you know, how to, to be loving and giving, but also to have your boundaries and, um, and reflect back to people their own behavior. Um, so that's an involvement. Uh, I think we've been really vulnerable 
an amazing Can I tell you a story? Do you get just a real quick story? Okay. I went and spoke at the Arab American Museum. And, you know, it was like my play came out. And every time I went to Detroit, like every person from Ramallah came and it was like the most well attended, of, you know, which is my, my community has been so amazing about coming and seeing my work and supporting me, especially in my early days. So I would talk for like an hour and a half and I presented from my plays. And my grandmother was in the audience and they gave me a bottle of water. And in the middle of it, I stopped and took a sip. And she was like, there's 200 people watching you. How could you sit and have a sip of water? Do you know what I mean? Because she didn't understand what I was saying. She just understood there was a hell remodel there. I'm on a stage and I'm drinking water. And I was like, oh my God. Betty, I swear to God, I wanted to take a sip of water now. And I said, is that okay to do? And I took the sip of, before you said that. Oh, do you see? Oh my God. So funny. And, and, and it's so funny. And she, and she like, I'll never forget. I love my grandma. Like I had a really hard uh, reaction to my, my, my C-section, my pregnancy. And I had just got back out of the hospital and she's like, I love you, Betty. You know, and I'm an old lady. You need to have another kid immediately. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's about right. I was like, Oh, do you know what I mean? And then like, that was the last conversation I had with her. She died after that. Oh, Oh my God, you know, God bless her. So I read a lot about my family and the women and the matriarchs and I'm sure she's up there, you know, having a sense of humor about me telling you the story. And, but it was, it was funny because I felt this flood of shame. Do you know what I mean? Like I presented at a lot of university. I was, I was acting in a, in a play of monologues that I created. So I went to 25 different places and, and like huge auditoriums full of students. And you know, when my grandmother said, why are you making people watch you drink water? I felt this like flood of like shame. And now I laugh about it, but at the time I was like, oh my God, I embarrassed my grandmother. Do you know, like, instead of like 200 people are here to buy my book and, and celebrate my work and listen to me, you know what I mean? Like, so, um, uh, so, you know, Mimi Nazal and I used to always laugh and tell our mom, like, will you stop? The book of shame is this big. Like, we get home. Like, you can't read this shame. You know, we make a joke out of it. Um, but the reality is so many of us do hold so many pictures and stories of, of shame. And it's also, you can, it, can, it can tag you anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, who would think that, like, do, you don't know the rules? You know what I mean? Like, the there's, other no, there's no rule for what, what do you do when you're in an auditorium in Ramallah and, you know, you know whether you can drink water or not. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, you're always messing up rules that you don't know your, our rules, you know? So. <laughs> you have, people have these rules, like, I'm supposed to follow, but I don't know the rule. And then, <laughs> then I don't follow the rule, then I break the expectations, and I'm a bad person. And. It was so stressful, um, you know, and then I finally made an effort to set, you know, set boundaries and pull away and, and I was ostracized. That was painful, but I had to um, do that to, to heal myself mm -hmm. and to come back and, you know, be able to, to speak about all of these things we're talking about. Um, but there's one thing I want to talk about. Uh -oh. And that's your play, that's your play Roar. And I want to hear what is the significance of that play? Well, um, uh, you know, I was told all my life that there's going to be no room for Arab voices or Palestinian voices, you know, and, and I kind of didn't, I never believed it. I just 
said, you know, if I want to, you know, be like Issa Rae and make Insecure and have it be on HBO, I can do that. I just felt that way. And um, I just got the chills, Betty. <laughs> you know, I just never believed it. And um, and so I went to New York and, you know, I, I, and 9-11 happened and it was an intense time to be who I was. Um, but I just kept looking and then luckily, you know, I submitted a play of mine to a contest um, and which is the most random story. One of the judges worked for a theater company and they produced it off Broadway, which is where new plays happen. Most Broadway is mostly musical. So off Broadway is kind of the place that, that you as a playwright are targeting unless you're like, you know what I mean? And, you know, they got a wonderful um, Italian-American uh, movie star who would have been in Sopranos and Nipple Fever. And she really wanted to play the part of Halla. Um, and, you know, it was based on the women kind of in my family. And, uh, and you know, I was able to make space for the Palestinian voice it, where there had been none, you know, and there was, there hadn't been even Chinese American. There's like a few black writers and mostly white. And, um, and it was something I'm really glad that, that I never believed that, that there couldn't be space for every kind of voice. And because I walked around in the world, like, of course, you're going to produce my play. And so people eventually believed it, you know, and it's actually widely taught in, in universities. So, so when you think of Palestinian or Arab or woman, you know, woman, you have to also include artists, you know, at, at least those who study theater at universities. So it, to me, you know, um, that's my, probably my biggest achievement that I, I integrated this, this industry that everyone told me was not gonna be open to my voice or my perspective. Um, and how I did it was through comedy. I feel like comedy, uh, and most of my work is very funny. Um, and because I write about chicks and Arab chicks and you know what I mean? And the, the stuff that happens to them, they're like very serious, you know, they come and they read it. Like they wanna read about you know, serious upset women, you know, like uh, who are, have honor killings and you know what I mean? And I'm like, here's this crazy family, you know what I mean? That everybody can relate to. Um, and so, and you know, it was very much, I write very much inspired by the women, my grandmothers, you know, the the women that I grew up with, who, who I watched kind of move in the world. Um, and they they are my source of inspiration. And, you know, they drive me crazy. <laughs> they drive everyone crazy. But like, you know, um, that's that's who I brought to the American stage. And I'm very, very proud of that. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. Oh. And I'm, thank you so much for, you know, being a pioneer and bringing our voice to the arts. I'm just, I'm so happy that I had the opportunity to talk to you today, today to celebrate you. Thank you. And if you can give one piece of advice to, you know, maybe a young person in an audience who's interested in pursuing the arts, what would you tell them? Oh, I had a really great answer for this <laughs> when I was younger <laughs> and less tired. And that is just, you know, you have to enjoy the journey. You know, there's, you know, as soon as I, uh, got my first playoff Broadway, I wanted it to be a movie. And I'm sure as soon as I make my first movie, I'm gonna want <laughs> to win an Oscar. Do you know what I mean? Like, and if you had told me uh, when I was 17 that I would be a visiting artist at Stanford, you know, a university that was out of reach for me, um, 
uh, I would have never believed it. And I wish I had enjoyed the journey more. Um, and, and, and how you do that is you realize that nothing is going to change your world. Nothing is gonna make you happy. Not a bigger house, not a better car, not a New York Times review saying you're the next best playwright in the world. You know what I mean? Like nothing is gonna bring you joy. So. Girl, my <laughs> Wow. You just moved me, like I'm feeling emotional. Oh, you always move me, Drew so if people are if our audience is interested in your plays let us know where we can find you i am all over amazon just put in betty shimia and all my plays are there so um and uh, and then do you have a website that we can find you on? yes bettyshamia.com um and uh that has all my you know stuff that's happening around town thank you it was such a pleasure. I'd love to have you on again. And because I think we can dig even deeper into other stuff. I mean, thank you so much for being open and honest and that's what it's about. And I think we both did that today. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me, Grace. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today on Real Talk. I hope you were all as moved as I was and wishing you all the best until we connect next time. Thank you so much and make it a fabulous day. Hey love, thank you so much for listening today. I am so grateful for you. I'd like to show you my appreciation by gifting you a free forgiveness self-hypnosis audio download. Part of living the fun and fabulous life is practicing forgiveness. Forgiveness can be such a long and challenging process. My intention is that this forgiveness audio will help you in practicing forgiveness, especially with yourself. Grab it by visiting daretoachieve.com backslash forgiveness. For more inspiring tips, make sure to connect with me on social media. Drop me a line on Facebook or Instagram at Grace Redman Dare to Achieve. Until next time, keep moving forward towards living your fabulous life.